0: listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, EcclesiaNoonan.com. All right, thank you Baby's heading back. <laughs> right, so, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this virtue list virtualists um, uh, were in the ancient world and in ancient literature very, 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 very common. As a matter of fact um, from a scholastic standpoint when you study the New Testament uh, in true scholarly fashion what you have to do is you have to uh, go to the original language and then what that requires is for you to go look at similar language at the same time in uh, the ancient world, which means that you're looking at ancient Greek texts, secular Greeks, uh, Aristotle, Philo, others, right? And so we find that other people during this time are also writing uh, virtue lists, right? The question is, is that what is what is Peter using this ancient style for? What is what is he doing with it, uh, and, and what's the significance? I think there's several significant things that you're going to figure out today. Um, and that is this: that this virtue list, are moral demands, that is, they are they are they are non-negotiables. They are, in some way or another, indicative and imperative at the same time. So they're descriptive, but they're really prescriptive, like they're commandments uh, that that you and I are to to be a part of. And then there's some really weird language. So in the text today, it says, "Supplement your faith with these." Anytime we hear "supplement your faith with," uh, or the word "supplement" just means what? Just means add, right? So add to your add to your faith these things, then immediately, if you're anything like me, then your defenses just come up. Well, you're going to add something to the gospel, right? You're going to add something to whatever, and so immediately the red flags come up, and um, that that's not the point, right? We're not adding anything. Uh, to the gospel, Peter certainly is not adding anything to the gospel. He's talking about the Christian life rather than regeneration today. But what I want you to see is Peter's very serious demands uh, towards a church that is living in a society that has gross moral decline happening in it. A lot of it coming from false teachers. Right? If you remember watching the the video summary with me some weeks ago. We talked about um, how these moral teachers were not only sowing demon doctrines, as they were called, right, but also part of the problem was their, their own lifestyle. Well, they're, they're importing, as it were, uh, their lifestyle, and, of, of course, Peter wants them to know this is just, this is just not okay, um, and then Peter, on top of all of this uh, aforementioned, decides to use some of the most aggressive language that we ever find in any Petrine letter, a letter from Peter, as he says, make every effort, right? You could use the word agonize in there. So uh, for, 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 for whatever reason, Peter is wanting the Christian to know that they're going to have to bring, and I quote, all energy to bear uh, in order to supplement to their faith or to add their faith these things. So this is, this is a work. Um, and what's so crazy about this is that, though this is not a part of our text today, next week we'll find out that we are to do these things for the own confirmation and assurance of our faith. It sounds like the most unbaptistic thing ever. If you've been raised Baptist and/or, for that matter, if you've been raised Presbyterian, uh, thats just the truth, right? Because we've got this: "Well, once saved, always saved." Bless God, and um, you know, near the she'll meet, and we're just going to sort of coast into glory. Peter won't have it. Peter says holiness must be pursued, uh, and, and the reason that it must be pursued for him is because of the very first. Words of verse five. For this very reason, okay? So what that's doing is that's attaching this list of supplementing your faith, using all your energy to supplement your faith with these things to the last two verses. One of the last two verses said, you have been given everything that you need for life and godliness. Faith and practice. Everything that you need you have gotten from the Holy Spirit. And then in verse five, he says, now because of that, and let's read it together, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, which could be translated uh, duty uh, or perseverance and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection that brotherly affection could be brotherly love, uh, and brotherly love uh, with love. Let's pray together. Ask that God would bless the reading of his word. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your great grace that you give to us. God, thank you for um, the fact that uh, with the spirit of God uh, and your word, that we have all we need for life and God. So we just pray that you would apply your word, God, to our hearts today, and that it would be clear. Um that we would be encouraged, God, by looking at you uh, and all that you've done for us and yet understand the charge given to every Christian today. We pray these things in Christ's good name. Amen. I can remember as a young minister, um, very young, like preordination, um, preaching damnable sermons against people who prescribed immorality uh, at the sake of a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And sort of, uh, you know, throwing my hand in the air and talking about the fact that it's really just about your relationship with God and God doesn't care about your morality. I remember saying words like this. And of course, um, at 42, uh, I'm... Realizing that that young, zealous man was biblically in, uninformed, right? Uh, and that is to say morality matters to God, right? As a matter of fact, when God gives us the law, it is called a moral law, right? And, and and maybe it's just because I felt like in my growing up years, morality was just kind of the way of Christianity and that it was more than that, Um or maybe it was the fact that I felt like the world browbeat the church for being nothing but more. I don't know what my motive was, but certainly today, uh, literally 20 plus years later, I'm eating my words, right? Um, because Peter has in view that the Christian should pursue holiness. This is really important to him. Um, now, now Peter, Peter knows, Peter knows very clearly who is in charge of regeneration? The word regeneration means born again. He knows who's in charge of that because he started his last letter off like this, right? Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He who has caused you to be born again to a living hope. That's, that's the way we started studying the last book, right? So he who has caused you to be born again to a living hope. So we're not denying the fact that salvation is all of God. Salvation is all of God. Salvation is all of God. It belongs to God. Um, God gives the believer a brand new heart uh, because he's dead in his sin and he needs a new heart to believe with and to repent with, and he gets that new heart, right? Uh, And then he's, because of this sort of Benefactor or benevolent God, he's called to mimic the deeds and the character of this God. And that's really what Peter's trying to get at. Uh, Peter's not saying uh, by pursue holiness that salvation is all of man To the contrary, he's already established that it's not. He is saying that the pursuit of holiness is something that may not be in vogue in, in Asia Minor or in America for that matter, but he's saying that it's quite important. So um, God's bounty in the Christian's life, God's blessings in the Christian life, what it does is it births a call uh, for obedience. Um, My mentor's book originally, which he would not publish in his lifetime, Modest Mouse, but was published uh, posthumously by my roommate. Uh, When Multnomah got a hold of it, they changed the title. Multnomah changed the title to Because We Love It. Originally, the title was Holiness, the Response of Love. Holiness, the Response of Love. And that's exactly what holiness is. Holiness is a response of love. Holiness is you responding to God's great work of salvation in your life. And how you respond is obeying the command from Leviticus and 1 Peter, which says... Be holy, for I am holy. And the world or any other Christian can call you anything else that they want to for you pursuing holiness in your life, right? But at least you'll be in sort of line with the scriptures when it says over and over again in the Bible, particularly in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue holiness, pursue peace with all men, and the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. So the pursuit of holiness is important. Um, so let's take a look uh, this. So we're only, we're studying three, uh, three verses here. We have three points. Um, point number one is this. Bring all your energy to bear, if you're taking notes. Uh, that's, that's the name of the first point. Bring all your energy to bear. Uh, and, and so when we say bring all your energy to bear, we're giving a different meaning or a different twist on the words make every effort right um, make every effort so w- when you look down to the Greek you can tell it's an aggressive language and so if I tell you make every effort it, it-, it doesn't translate in the English the urgency that's there does that make sense which is why that we then uh, you know prefer something like bring all your energy to bear would be actually a proper translation bring all your energy to bear. Um, this is what it sounds like. This is a, a great scholar by the name of Gene Green translated this. Certainly, it's not mine. Uh, and it says, and also, for this very reason, bring all your energy to bear to add to your faith, faith virtue, and virtue knowledge. Um, so so, so the, the, the idea is, in fact, that you're going to be struggling. uh it's 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 a fight. The idea, here is that there's going to be some serious energy exerted. So here's the question for you. So a simple application question for you to start off this one. Uh, because we're commanded here to bring to bear all of our energy to add to our faith these virtues. Right? That is to say very simply, we're supposed to be doing these things. We're supposed to be involved. You and I are supposed to be involved in brotherly love and all these things. What is it in your life that you can think of, this is what I'm bringing all of my energy to bear on. What, what is that thing in your life? When you think about your life, it's your work, it's your kids, right? Uh, we were talking about earlier before the service, people who play video okay. games who are married with children four hours a day. This, this this would constitute as that, wouldn't it? Bringing all your energy to bear would be because so you got to work, you come home, you put your kid in bed, and in four hours you're busy. This, this also constitutes bringing all of your energy, right? Because at that point, after coming home and putting your kid to bed and working all day, you didn't think that you have energy, any energy to do anything, with much less to bring it to bear on something. And yet, it's it's called a four-hour So, what are the things that you are bringing your energy to bear on? And then that's not actually just scheduled time, right? Because we would miss a lot there, and that's the multitask multitasking nature of a busy mind, right? Uh, so, So what is it that not just with your body you're bringing your energy to bear on, but what about emotionally? What about mentally? What are you bringing your energy to bear on in your mind? This is what Peter says. Peter calls the Christian and says, bring all of your energy to bear, to pursue holiness, to supplement, to add to your faith, These beautiful decorations of what God has done. God is presented as the benefactor. In these these virtue lists, um, oftentimes people in in the ancient world, secular world, people would be called to mimic the works and the deeds of the benefactor, right? Uh, And the benefactor here is God. And so what are you and I called to do? We're called to imitate God. Probably one of the greatest Christian works uh, ever written, I would say a, definitely a top 25-er in terms of Christian living, is Thomas Akempis' uh, The Imitation of Christ. Joe, can I get an amen? Amen. Good. Joe gives us a hand. Good. Yes, true. It is. I mean, it's, it's a great work. Um Imitation here is what the Christian is supposed to be involved in. To what degree are they to be involved in? They're to bring all of their energy to bear. Now, here's the thing. If you need context for to what degree you should be pursuing holiness, answering this practical question, what is it that you're bringing your energy to bear on, is a very good exercise for you. It's a very good exercise for you because it helps you see, oh, this is where I'm spending my time mentally. And how can I be a mom, be a worker, be a husband, uh, be a roommate, be a daughter, and also bring all my energy, all my heart, all my mind to bear on being more like Christ? Of course, it is men who preach things like this in the pursuit of holiness that are often met by the Christian community and the church culture with this piece of advice. Just chill out already, is that right? This is what's said to people. You need to just calm down, have yourself a cup of coffee, sit down and put up your feet, maybe do some breathing exercises, and don't be so intense, right? does that make sense? <laughs> uh, rather than, no, 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 bringing all your energy to bear looks like it's something that's biblically prescribed and commanded. Um, and that's intense, and there's an intensity to it. Um, so, uh, of course, the, the question for the original, uh, the original author and audience is why is he, why is such urgency in Peter's voice? It is because of gross moral decline, gross moral decline. So there's gross moral decline in this particular age, in this particular church, in this particular set of believers surrounding the culture and he's concerned with it. Uh, You and I, the question is, do we also live in a day of gross moral decline, yes or no? That's, That's the question. Do we? Uh, and, and it's easy to be, uh, as C.S. Lewis calls it, and I often mention, a chronological snob, right? And to just say, sort of, pine for the for the yesteryear, right? And wonder, oh, well, it just been better back then. But the truth is, is that never in our country's history have we ever so openly legislated immorality on a federal level like we are today. So, for example, uh, have has this country been involved in? horrible, what I consider gross moral decline via sanctioning of unjust wars um, that we probably had no business in? Absolutely. Has this country uh, been involved in uh, the institution of slavery and sanctioning it and seeing it sort of you know, sort of giving it a nod? Sure. But uh, in 2019, I think it's fair to say that, in terms of just sheer, sheer morality, right, um, certainly you can make a strong case for the fact that America is in gross moral decline since we are legislating it. Uh, like never before in this country's history, and you can disagree with me if you want to. The great thing about this is that I, I'm your pastor well enough to know that you know that I don't mix nationalism and patriotism with the kingdom's ethic. You you should know me well enough to know that that's not a that that's not how I roll, right? Um, however, if you think that the church does not have a prophetic voice into all realms of life, then you are grossly missing. Because it is, it is to be a voice of reason and truth in all institutions, and that includes the government. So when the government legislates immorality, even if we expect them to, it's our job to be be the voice of truth that says wrong. It's our job, right? And you're like, tip to look around, you're in a living room with 11 people. Hey, valid, right? True. But but, what, what am I a part of? I'm a part of a larger church that also decries the same thing. Does that make sense? I stand behind a sacred desk, which stands for something, and, uh, and, and, and and that's certainly the truth. Okay, so the urgency that Peter comes with here, this is what he says. He says that you're to bring all of your energy to bear to, and that brings us to the next Point, point two is supplementing your faith supplementing your faith if you're taking that, So you're going to be adding something to your faith, right? So Tricky, you have faith in and love for Jesus Christ. But what Peter's saying here to you and to Colin is, hey, you guys need to add brotherly love. You need to, the word supplement means add. You need to add these things to your belief that Jesus is God and has died for your sins, that he is the Lord, that he's risen from the dead. You're called to add those things to your life right? That love and brotherly love and and, and godliness is not just a good idea, but it's something that you add to your life, and the Bible commands that you add it to your life, right? Now, those things don't save you, right? But it does, it it is a show of love for God, right? That's that's what it is. So um, supplementing your faith could mean just this, introducing one virtue on top of another, That's that's sort of the idea. Or that you would bring one virtue in in beside another. And so you're called to supplement your faith. You're called to add to your faith these things. The Christian is not going to get away from a worldview where he is not pursuing holiness. Right now, oftentimes in in, in, um, the pursuit of holiness, what we find is that People are often met with scriptures like Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that he has set us free. Just be free, brother. Right? You don't have to pursue all this. Just just be free. Just chill out. Relax. Jesus is coming back and he loves you and everybody else. Uh, just, just be free. Uh, that's not at all the attention of what Paul has in store for the Galatians. Paul is actually writing the same people in Galatia that Peter is writing actually in 2 Peter. They're in an ancient line. Because just a few verses down in verse 13 in Galatians 5, he says, Except use your freedom not as an opportunity for the flesh, but in love, serve one another. So see what he's calling? He's calling for love, service, holiness. He's calling for all of this. Not as an opportunity for your flesh, right? Or that word "sinful,", sinful heart, but that you add these things to your faith. Now, I just want to make clear, perfectly clear that when we say, add these things to your faith, they are not an addition to your salvation, right? They're they're just not, right? Uh, It is you, however, uh, being sanctified, the word sanctification, being saved, you are becoming more like Jesus each and every day. Uh, The beauty of your life versus Israel is that Israel was called to be a people that were ordered by God's law so that when people saw such orderliness in the middle of ancient Near Eastern and Mesopotamian chaos, that they would go, why is that happening? And then they would ask the question, and then Israel would go, it's our great God who gives us these laws. It's it's our great God who causes these things to happen. And you in the New Testament, when you live a life that is ordered by God's law, right? And you live a life that is seasoned with God's grace, and people come to you and go, when and why are you holy, or that is to say, in, in their terms, will be different and distinct and or separate? Then you'll say, "Oh, it's God in His Word." It's not me. Hey, it's God in His Word. I just, you know, I'm a Christian, and Christians live their life ordered by God's law. So, um, the call to supplement or add your faith. Add good works to your faith in this context uh, is, of course, in view of the fact uh, that God has already given you everything that you need for life and godliness. So God says, I add it, add these things, add these things, add these things. And the reason today that you can walk out of this room not despairing is that you walk out of here in full confidence that God has given you everything that you already need. Like you're ready. You're ready to go, Right? Um, everything that you need to obey the command, God has given. Let's get into this virtue list here. Uh, the virtue list starts at the very end of verse 5 and goes through verse 6 and ends in verse 7. This is what it says. Supplement your faith with virtue. The word virtue is just moral excellence. Okay, it's the noblest of character. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So God's character here in our lives is not only to be praised, but it's also to be imitated. God's character is not only to be praised, but it's to be imitated, hence the virtue list. Okay, so where do we get these things from? We get them from the heart of God, the character of God. That's the reason that we're called to be uh, all of these things. There are tons and tons and tons of virtue lists in the New Testament, Uh, starting with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 would be a great place for you to do some devotional work. They're found also in Romans 5, 2 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 6, Philippians 4. I'll read one of them to you here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Here's what a Pauline or a Paul style of uh, virtue list sounds like. Put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and if uh, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive. Verse 14. And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Notice that the last virtue in the virtue list is always the most important. There's really no order or meaning to anything else, um, but the the one at the end is absolutely the most important. And you see that not only in Paul's list, but you see love being the last one in Peter's as well. Paul also wrote to Timothy in his first letter to him in uh, the last verses of chapter six, but as for you, O man of God. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now, here's the thing too. There are, as I've said before, vice lists throughout the New Testament as well. Um, the deeds of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Right. Um, uh, one such vice list is in First Corinthians chapter 6 uh, verses 9 through 10. And um, and another one is in Titus um, 2.11. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem from all lawlessness and to pursue for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So we're going to get into the we're going to get into the virtues of the list in just a second. But I have to stop because I was really surprised when I um, was reading through uh, one of my commentaries. Uh, and really, the, this is the foremost commentary. It's, it's really, it, it's the commentary that all other commentators cite when they're doing their work. Does that make sense? So it's the chief, right? It's, it's called by the name G- Gene Green. What mean? Um, and uh, this is what he noticed. He noticed, and, this, and of course, this guy's not a pastor, right? He's, he's, he's a scholar. But he's a part of a, a local church. And this is what he, he noticed. He says, you know, it's so funny that the Bible in the New Testament are so full of vice lists and so full of virtue lists but we rarely see this in the contemporary church this is his point why do we see these lists so much in the Bible but so little in the church this is a, this is a serious issue for him and, and, and I think it's one to consider why? Because if you get a virtue list, then you give out something that's a command for people to, to do. And then if you, say, kill sin in your life, well, you know, uh, Colossians three five, then you've got to read those vice lists and say, this is not okay, right? This is not okay. Um, so let's take a look at these eight virtues. We're going to have to fly through them. But we do need to at least take a cursory look at each and every one. So faith. Is is first. Notice that uh, the, that that our list starts with faith and ends with love. Also note, please, that the most famous and common of all virtue lists in the New Testament are as follows: faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. This one starts with faith and ends with love, but guess what's not there? Hope. However, hope is often seen as the fruit of endurance. Hope is the fruit of endurance, and guess what? Faith and love are often paired with in the New Testament when it's not paired with hope, endurance. So uh, think endurance when you think uh, uh, hope uh, because they certainly are related, There, faith, hope, and love. Um, when we say faith here, uh, we are talking about uh, in in one sense, faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus, uh, which bears and births faithfulness in you, but also faith in and love for Jesus Christ. When we say faith, we mean specifically the definition of faith, which is Hebrews chapter 11 verse one. Faith is being sure, absolutely sure, of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. I do not see that Jesus is Lord, but I absolutely live my life under the assumption. That he is master, owner, and ruler of the creator. Period. Right. So that's that's where faith comes in, and you are to add to your faith these virtues, these virtues. First one, first virtue that you're to add is virtue, and, and, and virtue means moral excellence. More specifically, many Bible translations translate this goodness. Right. That uh, according to Galatians chapter six, you are to good do good to all men. Uh, and especially to those who are the household of faith, which I quote often to you, uh, and that is to say, let goodness be supplied to your faith. When people look at your life, they should see the goodness of God, right? Um, so the question is, Is are you good? Or do you think that good is not in vogue enough uh, for you to practice, right? Uh, maybe there's some sort of spiritual baggage, Right? to your goody-two-shoes past if you don't feel like goodness is something that shouldn't be displayed, but just general goodness. Let me tell you the greatest way that you can be good, and that is to serve. When I think of goodness, I think of service, um, and certainly I think of self-denial. Next, what are you to add to that? You're to add knowledge, and the knowledge that's in view here is just a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but... It's also the knowledge that both Paul and Peter want the Christian to grow in. They want the Christian to grow in knowledge, that they would know God more and more and more. Uh, Knowledge is something that Peter wants added to faith, not just goodness, not just moral excellence, um, right? not the most noblest of of characters, not just that, but also knowledge, that you would grow in knowledge, that you would seek to know God more. Number four is... Um, self-control self-control when you go back and you look at the secular Greek lists of virtues, uh, love's not the most important one on on, on those self-control is always the most important virtue in all ancient Greek lists it is not the most important one in the Christian life but it is a a sort of fit of anger or a lack of self-control is a deed of the flesh Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And specifically, when the Bible talks about self-control, it always talks about it in three categories. I want you to listen really careful to me now. When the Bible talks about self-control, it always talks about it in three categories. Number one, food, number two, mouth, and number three, sexual desires. Number one, food, number two, mouth. Okay? Slander, gossip, defamation of character, un. Helpful, biting words, always having the last word, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We could go on forever, right? In our depraved creativity, in my depraved creativity, that is, right? Uh, and last, sexual desires. So we say self-control, that's what we're talking about. Self-control. Um, self-control is a way of saying God... These are the things that you prescribe. You are in control. This is, this, is, this is what I find. When I find that I don't have self-control, A, I'm not believing the promises of God, or next, I, I'm always taking matters into my hands. I control issues. When I control issues, I lose self-control, right? Rather than looking for what God wants me to have, Right? Um, So self-control is so important in the life of a Christian. Uh, Which one of these do I fill in the most? All of them. Which one is the most visible to everyone? Definitely self-control. Definitely. Self-control is, in in my life, maybe not in yours, in my life, it is the most visible. If I don't have self-control, my girls know it the fastest. My girls own they can pick up on dad's lack of self-control and see it, or their mother's, or their own, right? Uh, it gets out in the air, of the public space, the quickest. Uh, number five on this virtue list is steadfastness, which could be called duty, could be called endurance, could be called perseverance. Uh, when the Bible talks about endurance and perseverance, oftentimes it's talking about Christians are being persecuted Endure, endure, endure. Persevere, persevere, persevere. And nine times out of 10, when you hear about perseverance, that's what you're talking about. Friends are dying. People are losing their jobs. People are losing friends. All of this because the fact that you're a Christian and persecution is in view. That's not what this particular steadfastness or perseverance is talking about. It's talking about when temptation is front and center, endure or have enough perseverance to get over the massive gravitational force that is temptation, right? I'll say that again. The perseverance or the endurance that is in view is not talking about persecution. This one, others are. This one that you're supposed to be adding to your faith daily, okay, and that you're supposed to bring all your energy to bear to do is talking about uh, specifically uh, enduring with being tempted to sin, that's it. And and how many of you could agree that you need endurance in this area? Because it's exhausting. Well, of course we do, we do, it's exhausting. Fighting sin is exhausting. And and we all need endurance and perseverance to get there. Uh, Number six on the virtue list is godliness, godliness. Uh, Notice that verse three in a couple of weeks ago, this is what it said. God has granted you everything you need for life and godliness. It's this virtue, right? He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Pastor, you don't understand my workplace. It is so difficult for me to conduct myself in a godly manner at work is detrimental to the life of my career. Give it a try. That's what I'm saying. Give it a try. Live a godly life. And so when we say godly, this is what we mean. And I would encourage you here to go read um, Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, and see what he says about the respectable sin uh, that we're tolerating in the church called ungodliness. But this is what godliness is in reverse. The definition of godliness is simply this. An awareness of God in all of life. That's all it is. That's what godliness is and awareness about it in all of life, right? That you wouldn't be a Christian atheist, right? Does that make sense? Where you just ascend that he's there, but you act as if he's not. But there's no real awareness in your mind. I can remember as a brand new Christian listening to uh, Dr. Charles Stanley say something that really stuck with me from First Baptist Church Atlanta. And he said, it is unthinkable to me that any Christian should go throughout their whole day without talking to God, that is a prayer, because it is it is the ultimate form of godlessness. Does that make sense? Like it, it, it is a non-recognition of God here, right? To ignore him all day, right? So that's precisely what godliness is. Godliness is just a nod, a nod of God's presence and lordship in your life. As if my eight-year-old daughter were to invite Colin over to spend the entire morning, afternoon, and evening with her, but when she, but when Colin got over there, she never said a word to him. He just kind of followed her around, <laughs> and she just kind of looked at him and just kept going. Right. <laughs> the idea is the same: is that when we practice God's presence, we are practicing the virtue of of godliness. It, 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 it's it's just a recognition that God is with us, and of course that sounds absurd. Uh, but it is uh, as absurd as a Christian not giving a nod to God. The seventh of uh, of the eight virtues is brotherly love. And here in your in your translation, it says brotherly affection. The word is phileos, right? And it's where we get the word Philadelphia from. Here's what's so interesting about this: uh, the Bible, specifically the New Testament, is the only ancient document in the world, because the Greek language, we have tons of ancient Greek literature we consider Homer and the Iliad. There are 600 ancient copies, original manuscripts from that era of Homer and the Iliad, okay? So all, i say that to say there's tons of Greek manuscripts out there. There's lots of stuff for us to know what our own Bible means by reading those words, and then we have kind of a working dictionary. Um, there's no other place but the Bible that uses brotherly love uh, in application outside of the home. Does that make sense? So Tricia and Ben are brother and sister. Um, the word phileo would always talk about brotherly love between the two of them and this word phileos is never, ever, ever, ever used outside of family relations and outside of the home. Never, never, never. The New is the only place where that happens. Do you know Why? Why? Because the church and the people in it are considered to be brothers and sisters of the closest type. So when they say you're to add to your faith godliness, um, uh, uh, endurance, right, virtue, also brotherly affection, brotherly love, the deepest kind, the, the, the familial love. Right, is to be added to your faith, um, and, and and here here's the thing. For whatever reason, and this is sad. For whatever reason, this is not the kind of love that the church is necessarily known for. Is, is, I mean, is that a fair statement? Am, 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 I, am I talking out of turn? I, I I'm I'm going to make the, the assumption that that's the case. Right? Um, I talked to a young man who. Uh, who uh, I love very much. We talked to him about ministry and just his um, situation in it. And he said, you know, it's so funny. Like, we come to service, we dismiss, and literally within 30 seconds, everyone is gone. Like, they're all gone. Like, there's, there's no conversations that are happening. It, it, it's just in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, we have a responsibility to bring deep and abiding familial love on one another. Joe gave me a book um, a couple of years ago, and the book was entitled When the Church Was a Family. When the Church Was a Family. It goes back to the first century roots of the familial nature of the first century church. It's a wonderful book, uh, not a lay one, but even a scholarly one, a scholarly treatment of the subject. And and that's just the truth. We're to treat one another with that kind of love. That's a huge expectation. Because loving one another like that person, it requires sacrifice and deference and all of those things that we don't selfishly want to do. Last but not least is love. Um, And this is the capstone, right? This is the one that's at the the end of all of Paul's lists, at at the end of Peter's list here. And when they say love, it's talking about agape love and this is the kind of love that it's talking about. It's talking about love for God, but it's also talking about love for everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, that Christians should be known by the new commandment given by Jesus on Thursday before he died on Friday in John chapter 13 that says, and a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have That's what we're supposed to be loved by. We're supposed to be be known by love. A graciousness, a kindness, a gentleness, and a love. I didn't say a tolerance. I didn't say that, right? It was G.K. Chesterton who said, tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. Notice that tolerance is not in our list here. But Chesterton says it is certainly a virtue for many, but it is a virtue for for man without convictions. That's not in this list. You loving and be kindness. You, you loving them and being gracious to all, and kindness, bringing kindness to bear, is so important. It is one of my most often quoted scriptures, Romans two, four. It is the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. So, um, Paul says in Colossians chapter three, verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In conclusion, um, I hope that it's been perfectly clear that God has saved you, and yet he saved you to good works or for the purpose of good works. Romans chapter eight, verse four says this, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, sinful heart, but according to the spirit. Um, Our catechism for today is Q28. In a few weeks, we'll run over Q34. And Q34 speaks perfectly to this balance between sanctification and justification and, and making those two things perfectly clear. This is what Q34 in the New City Catechism Asks, uh, since we are redeemed by grace alone through Christ alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word? I'll read that one more time. Since we are redeemed by grace alone through faith alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word? Here's the answer. Yes, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his spirit so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God, so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits, and that so that our godly behavior, others, might be won to Christ. Pastorally today, my heart is that you would not at all leave here, at all, with a shred of the notion that you are unable to do the things that God as required of you here. Because if you have God's spirit, then you have all that you need. Romans chapter 8, verses 11, 9 through 11 say, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and he is, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. You've been given everything that you need according to, Uh, pertaining to life and godliness. Uh, So watch this. When you walk out today, you walk out with a smile on your face and and confidence in in your heart because you've been given everything that you need for life and godliness. And you've been given a serious challenge today. Right? I mean, Peter's walked up and dropped the mic, right? He said, hey, um, you're to bring all your energy to bear to supplement or to add to your faith, all of these things, and to be actively involved in it. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. Let me encourage you to start small. Let me encourage you to start with one that you uh, feel like, yeah, I, I, I need to work on this one, right? And, and maybe for you today, that's just godliness. That's just an, an ascension of God in your life. I mean, that's just where you need to start today. It's really practical. You should put it in your pocket. That's the goal. Or maybe it's brotherly love, right? You need to be more attentive to others. You need to love one another in that way. Um, whatever it may be, we encourage you um, to do that. Okay, Joe and I'm going to call on you guys if I can, so the word staple to the rest of the day, if you would, please. Um, I'm going to pray for us. These two are going to have service. Um, and then uh, after that, we'll be discussing. Oh, we love you. Thank you so much for your grace, God, that you give to us, for your mercy. Um, God, thank you for joining in our life. God, I pray for your family. Um, and I thank you for their serving us, God, at your table today. Uh, God, I pray for um, our hearts as we come, that we would come rejoicing and yet confessing, God, recognizing our unworthiness and seeing, God, the great victory uh, in this table um, for all that you have done. For us, God, thank you for absorbing wrath for us, God, and help us to see clearly the gospel today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.